0: That's the beauty of Western world. First, they put a narrative where they put <laughs> India versus China, mm. and then they try to uh, start uh, finding you know shortcomings in uh, both of us. Uh, mm. But I, it's on the ground, it's not like that.
1: There is always this tendency of portraying China and India mm. in a very competitive scenario or mm. narrative from right. almost to every dimension. But uh, there is no mentioning the bigger picture, which mm. is we are all independent from the Western modernization. We have our own path of modernization and development.
2: But in the future, I think for the Indian young people, they're probably going to face a very fast moving, but also confusing, turbulent 10 or 20 years, mm. because China used to experience that
3: the chat lounge chat lounge chat lounge
2: the chat lounge unpacks views and opinions
0: on hot issues in a more casual way
3: welcome to chat lounge i'm Liu Kun. the united nations said earlier this week that india will become the world's most populous country by the end of april hitting almost about 1.43 billion people and eclipsing china Economists and demographers often talk about a demographic dividend, it means a one-time window, spanning a few decades during which the number of working-age people in a certain country is far bigger than that of young and elderly dependents. This has the potential to boost economic growth. What does becoming the world's biggest population mean for the Indian people? What opportunities and challenges does it pose for India's policymakers? Will India be able to seize its demographic dividend? Now, for these questions and more, I'm joined by Prasun Shama, a Penland Scholar from New York University and University College London, Han Hua, President, Beijing Belt and Road Cooperative Community, also Professor Qü Qiang, Research Fellow of Global Issues of Beijing Foreign Studies University. Uh, First up, uh, a big thank you to all three of you for joining me to share your opinion with me. So the UN Department of Economic and Social Affairs said in a statement on Monday that by the end of this month, India's population will reach um, 1.43 billion people, matching and then surpassing the population of China. Uh, Maybe let me start with Prasun. So in general, what's the significance for India to become the world's most populous country, socially and economically?
0: Thanks for having me for this show. Uh, coming towards your question, it has both positive and negative aspects. So, uh, and I would say not negative, it's challenging because for policymakers and other stakeholders, it will be uh, a big challenge to feed uh, uh, larger populations to educate them, to provide them better health qualities and also to skill them for, uh, you know, the upcoming challenges of technology and the job market. In terms of positivity, post-COVID India can become a human resource center for the uh, whole uh, global economy uh, and they can provide skilled labor force. They can also provide, uh, you know, innovators in startups India being uh, the third largest uh, uh, innovation startup hub now. So uh, there are a lot more positivity uh, and being uh, having a young generation, uh, it will be easier to generate more job in terms of uh, which will contribute towards the economy of India as well as uh, to the global economy also.
3: So um Hanwha, what's your view what do you think you know this mean the, the this means in general for India
1: Okay thanks for having me um I I think India's population does not grow overnight so how come the sudden speculation or forecast of you know in, uh, from western media about India's economy will surpass China And also China will be the burden because of there is no population dividend uh, from China's economic development. So this is just uh, a narrative set by Western media. I think uh, for past decades, both countries are developing at a speed faster than most of the countries in the world, but in different paths. Certainly, China has China's way of grow, growing and to keep its model and to keep its independence and to develop, which we call now a Chinese modernization. And the India certainly has found its own way, its own path of this kind of development or modernization, and so. It's population-wise, or the data itself, it just reflects a certain population, a certain development stage for both countries, and uh, does not the, the the figure, the number itself, does not equate to economic development necessarily. Uh, the population certainly will bring pros and cons uh, for the next stage development. China has endured this kind of development stage. So China during this development stage has introduced first the one child policy, mm. second uh, it's encouragement of having more children for one family, and then followed by follow up by the incentives by the central government and the local governments regarding to encouraging young couples to have more kids to 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 bring the 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 average age of the total population to a younger level, so these are the incentives and the policies adopted by the Chinese government, and I think the India government will have its own you know policies towards mm-hmm. how to utilize the population, how to utilize the talents to continue their development
3: right. Now, Professor Qiqiang, you are an economist. Uh, what's your take on this? How do you look at, you know, in general, the economic significance for India to become the world's biggest population?
2: Well, um, it's complicated. Actually, <laughs> when China becomes the largest population nation in the whole world, I'm saying the same thing. It's complicated. First of all, congratulations to uh, Indian people and to mm. our colleagues here. Uh, it's definitely going to be a great opportunity uh, brought to this nation. Especially when we're at the turning juncture of the whole world. We're facing a lot of problems right now: aging problems, less children, and uh, less opportunity and less uh, impetus for the future, you know, growth. But for India, it sounds like a reverse situation. More population means the bigger market, right? Means more of the younger people. If you take a look at the demographic structure of India you will face that their population really have a very optimal structure, mm. so which means more supply of the labor forces. And also uh, in the future, uh, you're going to see this large population are going to have more positive spillover effect to not only India, but surrounding nations, for example, providing more of the opportunity and labor forces for China, uh, European countries, and America, uh, letting alone it's going to be uh, the largest uh, in a market uh, well, uh, like China in the future, mm. so this is going to be positive. But also, I'm going to, you know, a mm-hmm. kind reminder, mm. it's going to be the same shit but in the different toilet. Why is that? Mm. So a large population is going to also be problem for not for food. I guarantee you that. We are afraid as China, food is going to be a problem. No, it's not like that because more hands, more mouths, but also there are going to be more hands. Mm. So China right now is self-independent. you know, independent. In food, uh, India is going to be better than China. You have to understand, India, even though it's a large population, but they are the net exporter of the grains, not like China. We are importers, wow. so they can mm-hmm. still export. So food is not a problem, but reminder is that uh, environmental protection is going to be a problem because mm-hmm. it means there are going to be more industrial activities, uh, agricultural activities, pollution is going to be there. And also you're gonna see another problem challenging is that the social management. It comes with two sides. One is infrastructure. Mm-hmm. You need more like water supply, roads, electricity, and to you know, sustain such a large population and also legal system and the culture changes. Uh because in China, traditionally, we're like to have the head of the village. We mm-hmm. can manage several families inside of the village. <laughs> and fine, you don't need the law system to be that good. But when you have hundreds and thousands of people in the village, you're going to need the the legal system rather than just a gentry system or Mm -hmm. the tribal system to manage that. So that's going to be challenges. So and also you're going to see high speed growth of the economy. Mm -hmm. But let me remind, it also comes with the cost that comes to social welfare and aged care problems because after twenty years of the high speed growth in India, Mm -hmm. you're also going to see you know, the more and more burden on aged care and the children care and also social welfare and health care. So how do we solve that kind of problem? China has already been, you know, in the, this river. So India will also go across this river as well. Mm. So let's see what's going to happen.
3: Right. Well, we'll dive into, you know, more details of these challenges and also opportunities you to have talked about. But uh, before that, uh, person, this question is for you. Um, an UN official said at a news conference in New York City that the timing of when India surpasses China in population will likely be revised once India conducts its next census. India has not done a census since 2011 and delayed the one in 2021 20, uh, uh, due to the pandemic. Now help us understand why is it hard to make uh, an exact calculation? Rizun.
0: Yeah, that's the beauty of Western world. First, they put a narrative where they put <laughs> India versus China, mm. and then they try to uh, start uh, finding, you know, shortcomings in uh, both of us. Uh, mm. But I, it's on the ground, it's not like that. I mean, we are busy building uh, our own economy and, uh, you know, creating resources for our people and yes being a, a large demography and also uh, all kind of terrain in india there are desert there are mountains and there are other uh, you know ge- uh, geographical uh, difficulties mm-hmm. but overall if you see uh, uh, when we did uh, you know this covid vaccination that reach we uh, came to around 90% of population through digital platform and vaccination so this gives a proof that uh, uh, when needed, Indian ecosystem can do all these kind of whether you say uh, demarcation or uh, census. So I think it's a, a selective, uh, you know, reference from the Western world where when, when they want a positive side, they will choose; when they don't, uh, they will choose the other side.
3: Hmm. Well, thank you for putting that into perspective, but. Uh... So, again, you know, how, why is it, how, in what, usually in what ways does India conduct a census and why was there such a long delay, uh, you know, to, of, uh, you know, the absence of uh, not having done one for the past almost 10 years?
0: Yeah, as I mentioned that if you mm. talk about the census indirectly, we did for the COVID vaccinations because mm. uh, Indian government and all the, poly- uh, you know, stakeholders. Worked uh, uniformly to reach every household of India, right? And the vaccination reached to around ninety percent of each household. So this gives then message of uh, census. But if you say officially doing that and mm. doing deeper analysis, uh, when we say uh, you know population census, that also comes with you know what uh, you know economic status they have and all that part. Mm. It takes a lot of resources and bandwidth. Right. Considering uh, this covid and you know rebuilding our economy i think we have much more uh, important tasks to uh, you know address first the chat lounge the chat lounge unpacks views and opinions on hot issues in a more casual way
3: before we we talk about you know what a big population means uh, for a country's certain economy i'd like to also to forward the idea that, you know, what's important here is uh, actually the Indian people, because um, the pursuit of better life, better education, better resources is a common aspiration of people all over the world. So uh, again, Prasun, what does, you know, India becoming the world's largest population mean for average Indian people?
0: I think for average Indian, Hmm. uh, these numbers doesn't make, uh, you know, much more impact or as as if you see Indian and Chinese demography, most mm. of us are from a middle class, uh, you know, families mm. uh, which are, you know, working very hard to educate the kids, make their own home, make better life, provide uh, better uh, health care to our families. So all majority of Indian populations are working towards this on, on mm. daily basis and, and uh, they are working and they will be working on that. So these numbers uh, for us is also like a news when uh, when we heard from the third party that oh yes they are trying to gouge uh, <laughs> our population. Uh, mm-hmm. But in terms of definitely for the policymakers they were well aware and uh, especially post COVID uh, when we learned again to uh, you know optimize our resource planning and um, mm. many levels of uh, waves uh, we have seen. So I think our policymakers are very uh, very well versed about this and they are prepared and they are also thinking ahead uh, for uh, prioritizing things which is uh, needed to to, uh, address this issue.
3: Now, uh, let's talk about, you know, the demographic structure of uh, the Indian population. Hanhua, what's your observation? What are some of the features of the Indian demography? Um, How is it different from other Asian economies such as China? Uh, well, uh,
1: certainly, uh, Indian population is much younger mm. than the current, you know, democratic uh, demographic, uh, structure compared with China. But I would like to continue on, you know, Liu Queen, you just mentioned about this people-centered people's mm. life be, uh, well-being matters strategy mm. of development. So, uh, you know, I, 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 I like I said, the population growth does not grow overnight. So we in China share the same feeling and probably will share the similar, you know, uh, pros and cons, difficulties as well as challenges down the road with such a huge population. So we have crowded, you know, cities, streets, uh. These are very similar. I've been to India once. So when I was on the streets of India, I said, Oh, this is just like in Beijing or Shanghai where, mm-hmm. where there are so many crowded streets. Mm. And at the same time, I would also like to say that so the impact we have been, you know, uh, enjoying and also realizing this population impact will be imposed upon different, different countries. So as long as This is there is this development strategy with Mm. people centered. I'm a true believer of people centered development strategy. So down the road, if 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 people can, the population can help grow the development and the the country's economy. uh, This will be certainly encouraged because we have on one side the crowded people, but on Mm. the other side we are the we can, you know, we we have so many talents that can be contributing to each other's development. Mm. So this is my uh, my understanding of that. And uh, mm. just like, Pasuun um, just mentioned, uh, there is always this tendency of portraying China and India in mm. a very competitive scenario or mm. narrative. From right. almost every dimension, economic development, democracy versus autocracy now it is come it comes to the population narrative, but uh, there is no mentioning. The bigger picture, which mm-hmm. is we are all independent from the Western modernization. We have our own paths of modernization and development. And we are all adopting the non-alliance policies when in the international relations. And we are all even neutral. Both are neutral in this Ukraine war, mm-hmm. which are the, what kind of, you know, the backdrop of our economic development, which is the peaceful development uh, and uh, utilizing the current population because even when India surpasses China with the bigger one, number one and we are still the number two. So we will face, both countries will face Continue facing the, the the population challenges as well as the population, uh, you know, opportunities mm, at
3: right. the same time. Mm. Well, yeah. I think uh, you just pointed out a very important thing, which is you know, both India and China belong to emerging markets as well as developing economies, uh, and both uh, are facing some very similar development issues. Now, uh, Professor Qiujiang person just said that becoming the world's biggest population is a uh, part of the statistics sometimes it may mean not that much for average indian people so um taking a look at this from the perspective of economy what do you think you know this will will mean for the indian people
2: well even though i have been to india for many times mm-hmm. but uh, i truly don't know what does that mean for indian people look <laughs> Uh, there are two very ancient civilizations still keep on going today. Mm-hmm. One is China, another is India. We're both 5,000 a years civilization. Ups and downs, all kinds of uh, turbulence and disruptions. But hey, we're still here. We're good. Mm-hmm. We have going better heydays and the worst dark moment, but still we're here. So I don't think the change on the numbers of population is going to change Mm. of both of our civilization or our development. So, yes, I agreed with some of my friends in India. They say it's, it's not a problem, you know, a problem, mm. no problem hey, right? Mm-hmm. So, but in the future, I think for the Indian young people, they're probably going to face a very fast moving, but also confusing, turbulent uh, 10 or 20 years ahead of us mm. because China used to experience that. Uh you're gonna see definitely a fast growing economy ahead of you, a keep on growing size of our bourgeoisie or middle class, and mm-hmm. also you're gonna see rising of the salaries and income, uh, and more accelerating of the uh, uh division of the labor. So you're gonna see more jobs happening in India so it 's going to be colorful it 's going to be a dazzling experience ahead of you, but also it comes with more of the problems. I guarantee you that because here we also see that, for example, like I mentioned, uh, mm-hmm. you 're going to see changing social structures, the changing or the urgent requirement of the changes in the legal system or the rule of laws, and also you 're going to see um, you know social pressures is coming after that because we have already seen the signs we witnessed. Uh, like 10 years ago for India, the average population or the birth rate of the population is more than 10 per thousand. Mm. But right now is 2.6 or by different statistics, uh, it's like three or four per thousand. Even mm. though they still much higher than most of the nations around the world, definitely higher than Eastern Asian countries, but still compared to India itself, is much slower than before. I think... They have already seen what happens to Japan, Korea, China, West Europe, which Mm. means when economies start to develop, your population growth rate naturally will also slow down. Mm. And that's going to lead to another problem we all are facing right now is the burden on aged care, uh, the burden on the, you know, the sustainabilities uh, of the uh, growth momentum. Mm. So I think that is something I think uh, the scholars and uh, experts in India really need to learn. China used to, you know, we have a philosophy, cross a river by filling the stones. So for us, <laughs> our, you know, stone is mm. Japan. Mm-hmm. And um, for India, I think right now it should be the opportunity and the window to learn from the experience of China and mm. Japan and Korea and Western Europe.
3: Mm. Now, Professor, Pras- Pras- I'd like to get your response on what Professor Qiang just said, you know, the stone. What what's, what, do you think India's is?
0: I think when it comes to learning, you mm. shouldn't categorize wherever you think it's the best case you should learn, whether it's China, mm. uh, other Asian countries or even Europe. So I think for learning, we shouldn't, uh, you know, uh, categorize things wherever the best case is and which suits Indian ecosystem. Uh, I think we should learn from that. Uh, Demography wise, yes, China is a a bigger example. If you see the largest middle class and then uh, uh, a growth rate uh, for uh, decades, uh, maintaining that growth rate. Mm. Uh, So I think uh, this is one option which India, I think uh, when you say startup ecosystem, they are uh, learning from Chinese uh, ecosystem in innovation and startup how that emerged and then they become like global companies. Mm-hmm. So uh, there are a lot of similarities in demography and only there are only two countries in the world which has billion plus populations. So we don't have much choices. Uh, so uh, mm-hmm. we, we should share each other's best case scenarios wherever we can uh, add value. And mm-hmm. I think India will be learning and I think... Uh, and we are vast, it's not, uh, uh, it's centralized, like we have different uh, uh, stakeholders, if you see mm-hmm. young generations, uh, uh, even in culture and other aspects, they want to explore and um, know the best uh, in, in, in the world and then they will adapt. So. Uh, Considering learning, yes, there are a lot of learning and uh, being uh, young populations, they are eager to learn about the new things, different things and new technologies. So we are open for uh, any best case scenarios where we can learn to make India more prosperous and happy.
1: in-depth discussions on current affairs from across the globe world today brings you updates analysis and interviews on the day's top stories 15 minutes a day five days a week at 7 p.m
3: beijing time My name is Alessandro Golombievsk Teixeira. I'm a professor of public policy and management at Tsinghua University in Beijing. I am a great listener of The World Today. In my opinion, The World Today is one of the best China radio programs. In The World Today, we can get the best news and analysis in what is happening now in
2: the world. So please come to join us. The Chat Lounge.
0: The Chat Lounge unpacks views and opinions on hot issues in a more
2: casual way.
3: Welcome back. Today we're talking about India becoming the world's most populous country. Joining me are Prason Sharma, a Pentland scholar from New York University and University College London, Han Hua, president Beijing Belt and Road Cooperative Community, also Professor Qi Xiang, research fellow of global issues of Beijing Foreign Studies University. Now continue our discussion, Han Hua, let me start with you. What do you think that the biggest opportunity is? For Indian policymakers
1: well, the past discussion remind me of actually both countries India and uh, China have come along a long way of being the world's largest you know population country, mm. so we have much we have way more experiences in mm. in on this road, and down the road, I think first thing first, maybe the later labor intensive industry will certainly enjoy the dividend continue yeah. enjoying the dividend of the population growth and expansion and but on the other on the other hand, the industry upgrade may may need more talents rather yeah. than the quantity but the more quality talents in addition to this population growth and also the market is a very good chance a everlar Market domestic mm. market is certainly appealing to the industry development, but on the other side, the energy consumption will be a challenge. For example, India, with the almost 17 percent of the world's population, is consum- consuming only about 60 percent of the world energy,
3: mm.
1: uh, and the, versus China, with the similar 17 percent of the population, is consuming at about 20% of the world's energy so in the future when india moves to its modernization will india consume more energy and will the world uh, uh, mm. suffer or will the world uh, face this in a very calm way so mm. these are both ch- opportunities and the challenges i think they are intertwined mm. and the the a- experts scientists Industry players, uh, government policymakers, they need to face this and they need to build on their past experiences and to come up with more pragmatic uh, measures to tackle these you know intertwined opportunities and challenges.
3: Mm. Now Professor Chiitya, what's your take? What do you think you know the biggest opportunity for India will be you know becoming the world's biggest
2: population? I think most of the opportunity will come from India itself. Uh, like China, India for a very long time is a independent world of its own. It's very similar to China and the growing population. And currently you see uh, from the government also to the private sector, they're making a lot of efforts to improve uh, the technologies, infrastructures, and et cetera. So I think the growing middle class or middle income, you know, uh, class of the whole society will bring up the whole consumption power and hence, you know, nurture more of the job opportunities and also diversify job opportunities uh, around India. So you're going to see a major growth in India's not only the quantity of their GDP, but also the quality of the GDP. And also I think my colleague just uh, mentioned about, uh, for example, right now India, uh, their consumption and the energy And also in the diversity of the food Mm. is still in certain level, and in the future, in a very foreseeable foreseeable future, you're going to see they're going to improve that. You're going Mm. to see more of the energy, power stations, and you know, nuclear generations is going to be made in. It's going to be built in India, and also Indian people's uh, consumptions quality and level Mm. is going to be upgraded. That's going to be great for India, and also Mm. you're going to see more and more Indian. Uh, not only the enterprises, but also the individuals and the government organizations to go abroad. Mm. Uh, currently, we have already seen that India has uh, lots of exposure and presence in Middle East and Africa. It's like China's uh, enterprises are working in ASEAN nation- nations. Right. Mm. So there are going to be more and more exposure in there. Mm. That is going to be the opportunities for not only India, but also for those regions, as well right. as the third party regions like China, America, and uh, West Europe.
3: Mm. Now, Prasun, how, how do you respond to, you know, what the two other guests had just mentioned? And in your view, you know, what's the big- biggest benefit or opportunity this is posing for Indian policymakers?
0: Uh, the opportunity is the, the timing as well, like world need... Uh, skilled uh, workers and uh, more hands to Mm. build economy. Now is the time that India can contribute not only domestically, but internationally. Uh, But policymakers have to make sure that uh, they are skilled enough for the current requirements and the future requirements, uh, especially in high tech industries, Mm -hmm. Uh, because even the Indian middle-class aspirations, even uh, a person who is doing farming in India, but he wants his his son or daughter to get a good job or do a, a good business, so these aspirational um, uh, you know demography uh, of india they they study well and hope uh, policymakers will make uh, the stem um, uh, domain that is science technology, engineering, and mathematics mm. as a attractive for them so that they keep uh, uh, you know, studying these and this will uh, definitely add value to their skills. And this is a need of an hour, whether we talk about artificial intelligence, quantum computing mm. and other tech-based uh, industry, because uh, one success Indian population has already seen, that is towards service sector, that is software. But uh, now is the time for Indian youth to explore other aspects in um, in manufacturing uh, hardware technologies and other high-tech industries so this is an opportunity uh definitely for india and uh it's a, a complicated task as professor mentioned for policymakers mm. to provide right uh, resources path and access to this uh aspirational population
3: now on that um So, experts are saying that to transform, you know, these human resources into economic power, economic might, uh, certain policies should be in place. So, Prasun, in your view, what are some of the hurdles for, you know, for such transformation to actually happen?
0: I think uh, that the current government have uh, started a lot of initiatives, whether it's Skill India or when you say uh, Digital India and also there is a uh, PM's uh, what do you say Kaushal Vikas which which promotes you know apprenticeships where kids can learn and on. Mm. So these kind of initiatives are already uh, you know started and working on the ground. For countries like India and China the biggest challenge is in implementation and to reach the masses on the ground. Right. it takes time we as you see not only demography all, also geography wise also uh, it takes time to reach there and with the uh, you know limited resources we have as a developing country so we have to be uh, you know extra cautious that whatever resources we are spending it reaches to the right or needy candidate so mm. these are the i would say uh, challenges for policymakers and other stakeholders. The Chat Lounge. The Chat Lounge unpacks views and opinions on hot issues in a more casual
3: way. As we have mentioned earlier, all three of you have mentioned earlier, uh, Western w- mainstream Western media tend to seize the moment to forward to the conclusion that the Indian economy will grow, whereas China's economy will slow down. Uh, And here's a quote from uh, the Wall Street Journal, just for our listeners. Uh, India's rising, quote unquote, India's rising population means uh, it is likely to keep its economy growing, buy more of the world's goods and play a bigger role in global affairs. Uh, even as it grapples with poverty and the lack of jobs. China's demographic headwinds will make it harder for the country to achieve its economic ambitions. So, Professor Tiang, what do you make of such conclusion? Is it overgeneralization?
2: Uh, okay, well, <laughs> I don't quite understand <laughs> what they mean.
3: Mm.
2: I understand the first part. I don't quite understand what the second part. Uh, so, first of all, yes, the first part I think is true. India is going to keep on going with its economy because everybody wants a better life. And um, yes, as they have bigger influence, they naturally will have bigger role in uh, world affairs. And India is already doing it right now. And it's never a nobody in the international arena. It's always playing a very important role mm. in the international world. It's also true. But I don't think there's anything to do with China uh mm-hmm. India will have its problem. China will have its problem. America will have its problem for sure. And I think India will in the future use the resources of the development to tackle with the poverty issue and to tackle with whatever is inside the country like China did, like uh ASEAN country did. And I don't think China and India will gonna, you know, have any of uh conflict or confrontation whatsoever. Uh, like I mentioned, in a five thousand years' history, China and India are independent a world of its own, mm. even though the two civilizations were together big civilizations but you know because of the Himalaya, so we do not quite you know have such a kind of a face to face moment. Mm. <laughs> so I think in the future it's going to be the similar situation as well China and India have its own specialties, own uh, advantages. And, uh, you know, so they're going to focus on their own area. For example, everybody is going to say, okay, it's internationalized the world right now. So probably they're going to be somewhere. They just run into each other. Indeed, but, uh, you know, like China, you have more of the influence all over Eastern Asian region. India has more of influences in, you know, uh, Middle Eastern region, Africa. Mm-hmm. And uh, China and India all have a very, very, you know, complicated role towards many issues. For example, China and India are, also have close relations with America and Europe, but also not quite, you know, follow America and, uh, you know, Europe. Hmm. So I think China and India will become still independent to their own, Uh, will still be, you know, self-independent at their own pace. And um, they're going to cooperate with each other. And sometimes they will compete with each other naturally in a globalized economy. So I don't think (laughs) <laughs> I mm. I don't get where the Wall Street Journal gets all this uh, mm. relations between China and India. So mm. it's more like a their gas and imagination.
3: Mm. Now person, how do you look uh, at you know the conclusion or what the Wall Street Journal mean, uh, said in the article that I just quoted?
0: I really uh, don't buy this when, mm. like they keep on putting India versus China which mm. as is a both countries, uh, uh, as Professor was mentioning, uh, it's not like that. We we are working for facing our own problems. And uh, it suits more Western world than both of us. Mm. So uh, they, they are portraying their own narrative, so which mm. I don't buy. And in terms of, uh, as Professor also mentioned, uh, we have our own problems and we are busy solving that. Yes, being from uh, such a, a big populations and where we have to compete to get the resources, the b- best resources. So we this is chiseled in us uh, since childhood. So competition, in a way, is good for the quality. But uh, these kind of statements are trying to create confrontation. Uh, so mm. I don't buy this. And yes. Uh, There'll be competitions uh, because we all want to compete and get the best resources available. Uh, but there is still a lot of uh, you know synergies uh, in terms of whether it's growth, in terms of whether it's culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, like there is yoga, there is uh, you know our own uh, traditional uh, mm-hmm. medicine, and uh, you know which which gave a lot of uh, uh, I would say support to both the population during COVID. Mm. So we have our own ways and our own traditions and uh, being rooted with them. I think uh, that has made us uh, still, uh, you know, stand Mm. on our feet, keep moving ahead. Mm. And even with 1 billion plus populations, we are still, uh, you know, uh, looking towards the next era, uh, being, which is, uh, forecasted by Western world, and we also know that it's an uh, coming uh, Asian era. So we are working towards that. And in past, we were controlling the the global economy, but uh, that doesn't, you know, uh, fade our, uh, you know, spirit of, uh, you know, learning and you know, uh, cooperating with others and uh, you know, coexist.
3: Now, Prason, you just mentioned, you know, this uh, statement or this narrative suits the Western media or Western society uh, better than it suits, uh, you know, both India and China. Um, Actually, these days, you know, the comparison between China and India is becoming quite common uh, among Western mainstream media. In your observation, why is there always this kind of comparison between these two economies?
0: Because these two are the only hopes, like which can revive the uh, the global economy post COVID. Mm. So when you see uh, a lot of expectations, even in our home, like when you see the kid is bright, there is a lot more expectation from him <laughs> to 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 learn better, to pass mm. in a good marks. So I think uh, in policy world also they are seeing that these two countries has resources, capability, mm. and aspiration to not only solve their own problems, but the global problems and even the complex problems. If you see the current uh, issues made uh, on the multilateral forums, whether it's war, Mm. there are countries uh, which are trying to solve that problem rather than, you know, uh, instigate that problem. So that is India and China. So Mm. they, they are trying to solve this and stop war. So, uh, the, when there is an expectations, then these kind of things happens mm-hmm. because the world is watching us and how we behave, how we move ahead, and what are our plans. So, I think um, I think this is one of the reasons the, they keep comparing us. Or, you know, uh, I would say partial comparison or, you know, whatever uh, comparison suits them, they they are doing that.
3: what's your view? Do you have uh, anything more to add, uh, you know, besides what the two guests have already said?
1: Mm, Oh, yes, I agree with them. And if I may add, I would like to point out that India and China, uh, even in different, you know, development paths, but we are on the same objective, so we are we are having the same objective, which is people-centered and uh, de- development. People's well-being is uh, in the center of I, I think the the policy. So it's definitely not a zero-sum game, as the Western media portrayed. So I think uh, India and China should bear in mind and not fall into the trap, which uh, the. Western media is portraying us and we, do, we, we, you know, the simple comparison between the population, which lead to a very simple conclusion that we, which economy will surpass the, the other economy is too simple. Both countries deserve a much sophisticated uh, mm. positioning and also a very positive uh, description and the the only issue between China and India, in my opinion is mm. still the border issue mm. left uh, you know from the history mm. other than that china india has have so many cooperation fields in mm. economy, economics, and the other international relations fields in a international arena. We have so many you know, things to cooperate. So do not, you know, fall into the trap of this population uh, comparison uh, furthered by, you know, the economic development comparison. We just grow ourselves uh, Mm. to be stronger, but also to be balanced because India needs to tackle the problem of the balance, such as to balance the rich and poor, which is the same challenge facing China. Mm. So we can do this kind of, you know, learning from each other and our learning curve will be steep, will be steep, to- steep together. Mm. So so this is what I want to add. This is not a zero-sum game and we should learn from each other. We can we can leave the border issue aside and we can focus in on more on the cooperation fields.
3: Talking about the challenges uh, uh, for China, especially in terms of uh, the population, the demog- demography, what well, people also often mention China as an aging society, and of course, there are other challenges as well. Uh, Professor Quxiang, in your observation, are Chinese policymakers responding to these challenges fast enough?
2: Yes, I think Chinese government and also the whole society is making proactive moves towards the solutions already. Uh, but this is actually a very, very long Turn issue and also mm. there's going to be a very long learning curve. So yes, we're going to solve this problem. Just to, as I as I said, just to take a look. trying to have five thousand years of history. Mm. We have been going through much worse issue, more than that, and uh, voila, here we are. So I'm not quite worried about this kind of a problem. Mm. And uh, what we think about right now is that we have all we have always need to bear in mind what is really the answer. And uh, what is really the things that China, India, and all this large population nation uh, probably need to think about? Uh, I don't think economy is some real solution towards a population or aging problem. I think mm-hmm. the meaning is, and I think this is our strong suit of China and India. What does that mean? Just okay. take a look. For the rich countries, for the rich countries in Western Europe and in the Nordic nations, their population growth rate is still also very low why is that they have probably given people whatever they can you don't need even to work you just stay at home and give birth to children and you can give whatever you want from the government but does that help with with the birth rate Hmm. i don't think they're doing quite well just take a look at the number in france in germany in the uk Hmm. right so uh, that probably means the economy is the answer, but not the only answer lead to the growth rate of the population. Mm-hmm. And China also need to think about this. India in the future, you probably need to think about that. And I think what, what is, uh, what, uh, but also, sorry, but also mm-hmm. you need to take a look at the other nations who have a high birth rate. For example, African countries, ASEAN nations. Mm-hmm. And they have a birth rate high. Why is that? I think one reason is that they have a culture. And the one is that people feel relaxed. People mm. focus more on the family rather than the income, rather mm. than the competition and jobs. That is good. And secondly, is about the purpose of life. Mm. In some nations, people, for example, in Arabic countries, people naturally got the purpose of life, right? Religious mm. purposes. Mm. But, uh, in some other countries, probably not. Or in some other countries, their purpose is to develop themselves, you know, to achieve whatever they can do. But currently, in many nations, for example, in Japan and in Korea and mm-hmm. partially in China, people are not feeling the purpose. So I think giving people this luxury of time, this mm-hmm. luxury of focusing on their family and also giving people education on the purpose of life is if ultimately leading people who want to extend their life to the next generation, and yeah. then hence can be translated to more of the offsprings. And I yeah. think, but I, I'm not worrying about that in the long term, because as I said, China, India are both civilizations, long mm. civilizations. We can naturally digest and solve this problem by our own culture.
3: Well, that's a very good point. Purpose of life. I think uh, it's very philosophical. And I think Professor Qixiang has given... Our listener, quite something to think about, uh, but again, turn to Hanhua. do you think Chinese policymakers are responding fast enough to these challenges that I just mentioned
1: in the first place, uh, I think china 's approach is to let the you know the, the society go for a while, then follow up with certain concrete policies. Uh, this applies to you know from the one child policy to two two children policy, and then uh, people. Uh, you know, the government is encouraging people to have more than two children,
2: mm-hmm. third
1: child. It's responding, but uh, it's in the long run. Can we Can we tell, you know, whether it is faster enough? It's responding in general policy. But for the local governments, because they have some, their own, Uh, uh, tailor-made policies so some are responding with you know a lot of incentives towards this family policy some are not uh, coming up with many incentives so it all it also varies because china is such a large country and if we want to carry out a policy from the central level all the way down to the you know provincial and the city level it depends on the capabilities of each provincial level government mm-hmm. and even the city level government to carry out these policies. So responding is on one side, and the, the implementation, implementation, so that we reach the last mile of each family is another another side. Mm-hmm. So we only when we can. Combine these two sides together, can we tell that how fast it is and whether it is effective enough? Sometimes you need fast responding. Sometimes, you know, a balanced speed will bring more effectiveness. So Mm -hmm. let's wait and see.
3: Uh, One more question for you, Prasun. So India is becoming the largest population, or has become, in the world, Uh, naturally, you know, the international community would, uh, as you already hinted earlier, would have expectations uh, on India. So what does India becoming the largest population mean for today's geopolitics? What roles can we expect from India in international affairs?
0: I think as you see uh, the, the trend now, uh, mm-hmm. there are a lot more uh, contribution from India, uh, India and Indians uh, in knowledge sector. If you see the large corporations in the US is headed by Indian engineers. So mm-hmm. you will see more. And mm-hmm. I would say there'll be some changes. Indians now aspire to build such organizations, MNCs. And that uh, you see a lot of, uh, you know, boom in startup ecosystem, Mm. which is majorly uh, domestic now. But I think in coming years, as Professor was also uh, mentioning that these startups will uh, expand globally. They will try to uh, learn and sell their products in new markets and try to solve uh, the problems of uh, new markets and, uh, you know, other geographies. So I think it will be uh, as per the trends more towards uh, you know uh, contributing to knowledge industry, learning mm-hmm. more about that whether it's in software or it's in doctors or even nurses. So although previously it was more towards uh, you know manpower supplying, but now it will be more towards providing solutions, building the, you know companies, organizations which can provide the solutions rather than. Going to uh, Western world to join these corporations, so I think this change will happen, and I think uh, a glimpse of that is already uh, we we are seeing that uh, a lot of startups uh, are providing solutions uh, to a global world, whether okay. it's say say digital payment ecosystem and uh, the the public digital infrastructure of India, whether it's a COVID vaccine uh, you know management system which is adopted by. Uh, various countries. So uh, I think it will be, uh, in conclusion, I'll say contribution towards knowledge based uh, industry mm. uh, and more, uh, you know, creating organization in such sectors. I think Indians will do that.
3: Well, you know, this is rather a complicated topic and certainly very daunting task for policymakers in both countries. Uh, Let's just uh, wish best luck to both the Indian people and the Chinese people. Best luck in their pursuit of better life. Well, that's all the time for this edition of Chat Lunch. Thank you for staying with us. Um, Until next time, I'm Liu Kun in Beijing.
2: As one of CGTN Radio's most popular programs, World Today provides listeners with a strong mix of international news and business. It delivers in-depth analysis of current affairs and one-on-one interviews, bringing you the stories behind the news, not just what's happening, but why.
3: I'm Einar Tangen, a political and economic analyst and senior fellow at the Independent Taiher Institute. World Today is news without the hype and business commentary that is informed and up to date, presenting the facts and asking incisive questions. So join us if you
2: are someone who needs to know what is happening in China as it is happening.